Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange today with some special guest content. Yes, that's right. Every once in a while, people share audio with me, episodes or podcast content recorded outside of the Pure Report brand. And I listen to it because I'm always interested. But occasionally there are conversations that go on sometimes with partners or alliance partners out there that I think is interesting to get in front of you. And one that came to me recently was shared and done between our partner DXC and our own Andy Stone and Andrew Miller, who are pretty well known and cover things in and around the security and ransomware space. So I am going to publish for you to listen, perhaps over the holidays, some content on ransomware and safe mode. And it features Mark Hughes, who's the president of DXC Security, again, with Andy Stone and Andrew Miller from Pure, talking about ransomware, talking about the anatomy of an attack recommendations for how a security threat matrix can be reduced both before, during, and after the attack. And then they go into safe mode. And it is just great to have a partner like DXC talking to our really smart Puritans about this problem that we can jointly solve for our customers that are out there. So I do hope that you enjoy this guest content. And now I will hand it over to the recording of Mark, Andy, and Andrew. Well, a very warm welcome, everyone. And uh, I'm Mark Hughes. I'm the president of security here at DXE. And it's my great pleasure today. I'm joined by Andy Stone and Andrew Miller from Pure Storage. Um, so why don't we start with a couple of intros? So Andy, tell me a bit about yourself, please. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Andy Stone. I'm the CTO for the Americas here at Pure Storage. And uh, by way of introduction, I'm not your traditional storage guy. I come with over 21 years of information security background. I've held a number of roles in consulting companies. So starting with Accenture, uh, where I created and ran a number of practice areas in security there. I have patents in the authentication and authorization spaces. And I've actually been a CISO. Uh, I was a CISO for Farmers Insurance and ran all security at Zurich Insurance as well, uh, and uh, have run all of security and IT at PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, and all of that before joining Pure. Andrew, over to you. Andrew Miller, uh, Principal Technology Strategist here at Pure. I've been here about two and a half years. Uh, probably most importantly for today, well, I started on the customer side, seven years, kind of admin to engineer to architect. I was actually on the partner side. So not exactly the same, but related, you know, SE to manager director. I uh, built out a tech marketing team for a while. As a, you know, spent a bunch of time in Palo Alto. For today's topic, part of the reason that I'm here and why Andy and I get along so well is I had a lot of security background from the customer side. And then I've actually been talking about this specific topic around ransomware and defense in depth of anatomy of attack, all this stuff for the last five or six years publicly. That's why Andy and I tend to tag team a lot as we're doing today. Brilliant. Well, thank you both. And you're very, very welcome. Very grateful to have you here today. So you, uh, you all may be wondering a bit about why I've got uh, Andy and Andrew here from Pure Storage with me today. And the, the topic that we're going to talk about is, is ransomware. Now, un unless uh, you've missed it, there is a, a, a huge issue around ransomware uh, across uh, many of our customers, across industry more broadly at the moment. And um, yeah, many of the customers here at DXE are being impacted by either directly being targeted by these threat actors, mainly criminal gangs who are targeting uh, our customers, uh, or sometimes get caught up vicariously in attacks uh, that, that maybe impact others. They may be part of a, a, a supply chain to a, another business where they are impacted as well. 
Now, the key thing that I really wanted to start by saying is when I look at and I'm dealing with a number of these incidents, you know, on a weekly basis, and we see them in many different areas, many different sectors right across the globe. And what, what we see consistently is happening is that whilst the understanding of the life cycle of an attack, which we're going to spend a bit of time talking about in a minute, um, may be understood and there are maybe things that can be done to prepare against it, what often happens is that the threat actors are successful because when they go for encryption, which is the normal MO here uh, for them, is that they then encrypt backup or other forms of storage that a customer might be running. That then immediately uh, causes the customer trouble and reduces their options about how they can recover. And so being here with Pure Storage today is really important. Um, having that insight from both Andy and Andrew uh, to know what they know uh, that can really then help us work with a partner like Pure Storage to see how we can really help our customers create the conditions that if the worst happens for them, then, uh, then they do have the ability to have that assurance um, in their back of their minds that their options are open that they know that they at least can recover if they can have that operational environment to recover into available to them. So uh, with that, Andy, we, I think we need to take it back here a bit and uh, look at the life cycle itself of a ransomware attack. So over to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate that introduction. And, you know, I think that the first question is, you know, why are we talking to pure storage about security? And, and you know, to your point, a lot of it does come back down to backup recovery resiliency. But we've built a tremendous amount of time building solutions that help to augment our customers' security platforms. So helping them to basically be more resilient during an attack and after an attack. So building the fa industry's fastest recovery solutions available today. We'll talk more about that after a while, but also some unique features like our safe mode feature that we'll also cover uh, that give you a guaranteed point of recoverability when that attack happens. So let's jump into the life cycle of the attack. Um, and the way that Andrew and I tend to go about this is uh, in, uh, in context of three forms, before, during, and after. So we'll start off with the before. On the before side, you know, there are some key things that are happening with these attackers. You know, before an attack begins, they're actually performing a lot of reconnaissance. As Mark mentioned, you know, the focus here is ransom. They want to attack your environment, try to ransom that environment, and make money. These attackers are not all that sophisticated. They're coming after you to make a quick buck. They want to get in and out as fast as they possibly can. So they're going to they're gonna perform this reconnaissance up front to figure out, you know, are you a good target? Who's a good target? Who's going to pay the ransom in the most likely form? Who can they go get the most money out of, in essence? Now, from there, they're going to have to go get credentials into the environment. So they're going to do that in a few different ways. We hear a lot about phishing. You might hear about watering hole campaigns. But, you know, they're going to go out and get credentials for the environment in some way. They may even do something as simple as going on the dark web and just buying them. And when they do that, they're going to then log in to your customer's environment, just like any other user. They're gonna just, they look like a normal user. They'll get in, they'll, they'll slowly start to look around the environment. They'll lay some little pieces of software that will give them the ability to phone home information and give them back doors into the environment. This is called dwelling. So they're gonna come into the environment. They're gonna sit there. They're gonna dwell for a period of time, looking around, looking for things that they might be able to steal looking for things that they're gonna ransom, but really trying to get an understanding of what's going on inside before they actually launch their attack. 
The last thing that I'll point out before handing it to Andrew is the dwell time on a ransomware attack is not that long in duration. What we generally see is it's somewhere between 17 and 50 days. These are not super long standing attacks. They're not years in the making. Again, the bad guys want to get in, get their Bitcoin and get out as fast as they can. Andrew, what I miss? Not even miss. There's, there's always like so much here. We're always going to leave pieces out. The one thing I think you, you alluded to this is this is an industry, right? In some cases, it's they're getting in. In other cases, this is like a multi-part supply chain where someone has gotten in and then they sell the credentials in another spot because that's less likely that they'll get prosecuted for that kind of thing. And the dwell time, we've seen that vary over the years. These numbers are a little bit mushy because no one wants to go report this stuff unless they have to. Sometimes it can be shorter. Sometimes it can be longer, but the key is for getting in and doing what I used to do is even on the partner side of selling like network and application discovery and who's the storage admin and who accesses this thing and actually potentially understanding your environment. What's that server over there in the corner doing that kind of stuff, right? So they're actually spending a while mapping out the environment. I think the other thing is, guys, that I see a lot of as well is that there's been quite a shift here when we think about the before, and this is what you were both saying, mm -hmm. that when you get to the fact that, you know, the, the object obviously is to gain those creds so that they can then, uh, once they're actually in the environment and that, that, that dwell, as you just talked about, Andrew, yeah. is then as much as possible, they want to appear as le legitimate users. Uh, and that's pretty key because, you know, if you think about all the tools that we deploy in, in the security space are really geared to spot, um, you know, unknown or illegitimate activity. You know, the tools have to work ever that much harder if the attackers have managed to gain credentials that make them appear legitimate. And then what we're essentially searching for is, you know, those, those weak signals against which we then have to correlate to see uh, what are what appear to be legitimate users, and I think that's increasingly really challenging, and that's where they're going for. So, I, I, I mean, it, it sounds obvious to, to all three of us here, but you know, the, the more that we can deny them the ability to get in, obviously, is gonna is gonna help. But then, as they are then beginning to build up this picture, as you just talked about, Andrew, stop them at that point. Um, but we're not always that fortunate, are we? So, uh, I'm afraid they often go on a bit more, and uh, we get into the during phase. And so during an attack, once they've got those credentials, right, they're going to seed some additional backdoors. They're going to do this for a couple reasons. After that initial attack, right, the ransom, they may come back another time. What we're starting to see are secondary attacks that happen within six to 12 months. And if it's not the same attacker, <clears throat> that first attacker may sell the access just like they would sell the credentials you know, for the second round potentially. The other things that we're seeing are multifaceted attacks. So it's not just the ransom, that's one phase, but we're seeing the, the attackers actually have multiple phases of attack against our companies nowadays. So they're doing things like exfiltrating files during the attack that they can then use to, to, to get a secondary ransom later on in the process. Once that, the attacker actually determines their discovery is complete, then they start their encryption phase. So once they've, they've figured out, okay, I know what I want to go encrypt. I know where all the backups are. I know where the primary data is. I know the critical systems. Then they're going to say, okay, time to encrypt. And they're going to send a command from a command and control server that's going to launch that attack. And the encryption campaign will start. They're going to start by the, with the backups, as I mentioned. Those are the first line of defense. They'll either target the backups themselves by deleting them or corrupting them, or they may ransom the front end of the backup system. So your Cohesity or your Commvault or your, your Veeam, so that they make it very hard for you or impossible for you to use your backups, actually. And then the, the other thing to, to understand is they're going to mostly target the most recent files 
first. So the, the, the files that were most recently uh, in use in an organization are the ones that will likely be targeted first by these payloads. So, you know, a lot to unpack here, but during an attack, you know, it's all about launch. It's all about exfiltrating data and making it so that those files become corrupt, unusable, so that you're much more likely to have to pay the ransom. I, I saw one statistic. These are always mushy about us. Usually there's a second attack within 30 to 60 to 90 days because they leave back doors in place. Like they're finding multiple ways to monetize any individual customers. It's painful to think about, but these are very rational economic decisions they're making. I'm thinking of one Fortune 500 that we can't list by name. You know, during the attack, they had actually gotten in to their primary storage systems, their backup storage systems, and, the, and those primary storage arrays, DR storage arrays, and the backup servers and actually did exactly what you mentioned um, to where, you know, during the attack, they were actually able to compromise all of that. And they're doing that right before the point where they kick off the encryption, the encryption phase. And then there's even some really interesting pieces about how during the encryption, we'll go and even, you know, target, use a lot of automation to kick that off all in mass. And then oh, in the past, you've mentioned sometimes they'll encrypt stuff and then flip copies around, you know, using VSS type stuff. So there's actually a lot going on here that goes toward how once they decide they're going to execute the attack, how can they take offline the means of recovery and then do it as quickly as possible? This is usually on a weekend and within 10, 20, 30, 60 minutes, there's a large amount of stuff that's been taken offline. One of the other things that I've seen also in this phase that some of them actually will target the risk functions in organizations to, to try and find the, the insurance documentation to see if uh, an organization has cyber insurance how much they're good for in terms of payment and then set the uh, set the ransom accordingly um so i think what you're what you're saying guys is this is a very sophisticated industry well thought through with good reconnaissance um and and targeting the whole organization right which is the i think the important thing it's not just a, a security thing by any stretch of the imagination that's right after an attack you know, your, your files are encrypted. So somebody's going to go to click on a document and they're just going to get a big screen that says, hey, you've been attacked. You, you, your files are encrypted. You know, contact IT support. And then it's going to have a, a file with information on where to go to actually get information about the ransom, how much they're going to charge and to begin that negotiation process. So, you know, from there, you're going to have to go into the dark web so to a dot, dot onion site, you're going to have to contact the, the bad guys or their brokers and talk about, you know, what you're going to actually end up having to pay and negotiate that rate. Now, if you pay the, uh, the attackers for the ransom, you're likely to get a decryption key and you can start the decryption campaign. Now, what we find, though, is that oftentimes the decryptors aren't that well tested. The bad guys aren't spending a lot of time to test their software, believe it or not. So, you know, it, he, you might not get a great decryptor. It'll likely work to some degree because they don't want to sell you something that doesn't work at all. Uh, that would be bad for business, but it, it also probably won't be fast. So like in the case uh, of uh, the oil pipeline that was hit, right? We had an issue with the, the decryptor being single threaded. So one file at a time for decryption. If you have a billion files, it's gonna take a really, really, really long time. So they're gonna try to get you to pay, uh, but your mileage may vary in terms of what you actually get back. Now, I talked about that secondary form of attack through data exfiltration. This is where that may spring up. So then if you don't pay for the initial attack, or maybe even if you do, they may come back around and say, hey, oh, by the way, I took a bunch of this data. And if you don't pay me, a ransom, I'm going to post it to the internet. So it could be about your patients. It could be about customers. It could be about internal, you know, employees. <clears throat> but the idea is they may have data 
from your environment that they stole that they'll threaten to post to the dark web if you don't pay. Um, other attack vectors that we see, Andrew, Andrew, one around media relations services. So they'll also nowadays offer to contact the local media and let them know that you've been attacked <laughs> and the extent of the attack if you choose not to pay a ransom. Uh, and they may even go so far as to uh, provide espionage services and say, if you don't pay, we're going to sell uh, proprietary information, you know, secret information that we sold from the company uh, to competitors or to some foreign nation. So lots of different attack vectors here, but the net of it is these are business people out trying to make money. Well, that's I think is a very good overview of how this actually uh, how this actually happens and how it works. So what's next? What, what you know, think about everything we have talked about. Uh, what are the areas that we need to focus on? Yeah. So again, keeping it with the, keeping with the theme of before, during, and after. You know, before an attack, there are some really critical aspects that your customer needs to be concerned about. The number one thing to be concerned about is hygiene. You have yeah. to be focused on good hygiene in your environment. Where you're keeping things patched, where you're keeping things up to date, you're reducing your surface area of attack, which is really important. There are only about 225 known weaponized exploits in use today. So where you're keeping those systems patched and up to date, you're really making it hard for the attackers to come in in a known way. And I think, Andy, it's probably worth saying, and I'm going to say this across all the customers that we interact with, we're doing a lot of work in DXE looking at our customers mm -hmm. to see where they could be vulnerable. And the, and the reality is, you know, these attackers are out to find those, those targets who are easier obviously they're going to go for the easiest stuff so those those organizations and those customers that do take this seriously and do have good hygiene you know the chances are even if they're not perfect they're probably not going to be the first in the queue to be targeted because it's that much harder well that's right and where where they're using services like the managed services that dxc has to offer you know you guys are going to have a higher bar set for those customers so you're going to be giving them a much uh, greater ability to sustain an attack or, or, like you said, just lessen the probability that they will be attacked in the first place. You know, the second thing that I tend to focus on is around multi-factor authentication. You need to work with your customers to help them vault all of their administrative credentials. Now, this is a services engagement. This is one another place where DXC can really help. Get to your customer and help them implement something like a CyberArk where you're doing credential vaulting for all of the admin accounts in the environment. Where an attacker can't get admin, they can't launch an attack. It's that simple. So if you can make it hard for them to get admin in the environment as well, so combine that with the hygiene, reduce the admin surface, now it's lights out for the attacker. They'll just move on. Exactly. And Andy, we know we, we do, as you say, uh, provide those services. But even though customers may have things like CyberArk provided, which we do a lot of across DXE, it's worth re-looking at it because sometimes those have been implemented some time ago. There's new uh, new ways of approaching you know, um, privileged access and how that is managed properly as well. So talk to our, we need to talk to our customers about that. It's so fundamental, isn't it? Yes. And I can't reinforce all. I mean, it needs to be on all systems. You don't just pick and choose the top 10 or whatever, because the bad guys don't know what those are, right? All is really important here. The next thing I talk about is awareness training. Another area where you guys can add a lot of value. It's not just about running the phishing campaigns, you know, with a fish me or something and saying, you know, don't click on these bad links. I and mean, that's very important. It's important to train your end users where you guys can really come and add value is tabletop exercises. You need to bring senior management 
and the boards to the table so they understand what's going to happen during these attacks. Help educate them. Tabletop exercises for senior management should be run at least once a year, preferably twice, and for boards at least once every two years, preferably every year. So you guys could add a ton of value here, helping to educate them, bring them awareness of what's going to happen as these events unfold so that they're prepared and they have a fighting chance of, of looking professional in the face of the media when it goes down. That whole tabletop exercise piece, this is where we're starting to cross the organizational boundaries because this is a subset of disaster recovery that we're used to and security. It's like an intentionally engineered disaster with malicious intent. So who wants to jump in next? But you help, the, you help identify the gaps in the process, right? You help them understand the things that they don't know so that they can update them, right? Uh, do they have a current call tree, right? Do they know who they would call in, a, in an event? Are those people still with the company? Do they have the right phone numbers? We, we have our security delivery leaders and our account security officers and DXE that are there to really help lean forward, do those tabletop exercises understand our customer environments but Andrew something you said that resonates so much with me it is about that whole system and that's actually one of the things that these tracks are exploiting is the fact that we often in our customers ourselves are siloed and they are they're almost playing on the fact that you know that there's not enough coordination across the thing about these incidents is there's a, a real requirement for a lot of coordination often in an environment which is not readily available to an organization to be able to work seamlessly in the way in which you need to yeah, that's right. And the last thing that I would cover before an attack, just like credential vaulting is logging. You have to log everything, log all of your systems. This is absolutely critically important. Mark mentioned earlier on, you know, kind of looking for these needles in a haystack, the, the little signs that, that might boil up to the top that, that might identify the fact that an attacker is in your env environment. If you aren't logging your environment, if you aren't using the logs in the right way, if you don't keep a big enough pool of data around in a warm or hot form uh, on a very fast analytics platform, your chance of finding those adversaries is slim and none. So this is an area where Pure can help, right? We have the fastest analytics platform on the market for running these security tools today. So where you're using Splunk or Elastic at your customer, there's nothing faster than running on Pure to get the security outcomes that you need. And it's pure, we will, our security platforms will scale with your customers' needs linearly. So as they grow, as their logs grow, we'll grow alongside them and we'll be able to maintain that performance. But when it comes to the logs, it's absolutely critical that you log all your systems, get them into that big, fast pool of data, and then do one other thing. And that's layer the right analytics tools on top. Now, this is another place that DXC can help. Go evaluate the logging environment, first of all. Make sure that the Splunk environment, the Elastic environment is set up correctly. Make sure they're logging everything. Make sure they're getting it to appear on the back end so it's very fast. But then make sure that they're using the right analytics tools. They need to be focused in three areas, the network, the endpoint, and the end user. Make sure they have analytics focused in each of those areas that are orchestrated to the security teams, to the security threat hunters, so that they can go find those indicators of compromise, the bad things that the bad guys are leaving in the environment before they launch an attack. So a lot to unpack there. The key is make sure you've got a big, fast pool of logging data using the right analytics tools in a very fast way. Absolutely. Logging is so critical. I know you said this, but I want to put a plus one on it, Andy. And the only way that you'll know which logs you need down the road is if you have a time machine, 
which is why it has to be all of them because you won't know which ones you need until right. later. Because, you know, sometimes it's just not simply not comprehensive enough. And I can't tell you again that the threat actors are purposely looking for, you know, these sophisticated threat actors. They're looking for areas where they can find the fact that maybe logging is not in place. So being able to re-examine and relook, and just because we did something and maybe providing that service for a customer, you know, a few months, years ago, you know, we have to continually reassess as customers, you know, change, acquire new businesses, are all those logs coming in? Because if, you know, we're not looking for that and making sure that that coverage is comprehensive, the threat actors will be. So during an attack, you know, really focused on kind of two core areas here. One is containment. Containment is the most obvious. When the attack occurs, you have to contain the attack. Now, what that means is, is a couple things. Uh, well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is you go turn off systems. You never, never, never want to turn a system off unless it's the absolute last resort. When you turn a system off, you lose the forensic capability in a lot of cases. So never turn the system off. Instead, isolate it, quarantine it with network controls. Unplug the network cable. Get it off the network that way, but don't pull the power unless you absolutely have to for some reason. So that's thing one, containment. Contain the attack, contain it via network controls, isolate to the, the broadest extent you possibly can. And then secondarily to that, create a point of recoverability. Now, what does this mean? It means that, that as you move to after an attack, you need to be able to start your restore process quickly. So during an attack, you need a way to do that. At Pure, we actually created a feature for on our arrays, our security platforms called Safe Mode. Safe Mode was initially built for insider threat protection. The idea was, hey, if I have a bad uh, an admin who has a really bad day, they could go in, they could delete all of my snapshots on my array, they could delete my primary data, and then make it really hard to restore, potentially, potentially impossible. So we were asked by one of our customers to help solve this problem. So we worked and we built something called uh, Safe Mode, which is a set of out-of-band, multi-factor authenticated snapshots. What all that means is that you have up to five named individuals on a customer side who have a unique PIN number with peer support. To delete the data on an array, even by an administrator, two of those five named individuals have to call into peer support. They get validated. They can then open a remote session with peer support. Peer support can remote in and actually help them delete fully the data on an array. So it's kind of like a two-man key at a missile silo. Even the admins in an environment can't fully delete data from a peer array without invoking peer support and going through that out-of-band process. Now, that works really well for that insider threat perspective, but we lucked into the fact that it also works really well for ransomware attacks because not only can a bad administrator in your environment not do something, but a bad process also can't. So even a process with administrative credentials in your environment can't go in and delete all the data from the array. So we give you that guaranteed point of recoverability so that after an attack, you can actually start recovering very quickly. And so having that guaranteed point is absolutely key and critical. Andrew, what do you want to add to that? There's great stuff from uh, Microsoft about they can get off the internet or lock things down. Like you said, network isolation, I believe within 14 minutes. So there's that piece. Obviously, that's stuff that DXC can help model out. There's a lot of executive communication. You know, when your CIO or CEO is in front of in front of the press, what things would they be saying? Your customer CEO, et cetera, you know, kind of thing. What things do you plan out? Not just communication inside IT, but IT to executives externally. That can have regulatory impact. It can have compliance compliance issues, and even stock price impact. If we say too little or say too much, 
of course, that leads into after. And I think some real big things are coming out here. Firstly, hygiene and the whole environment, how important that is. Secondly, how important preparation is in terms of training and also in terms of understanding the estate. Um, but we go, we come back down to, you've mentioned quite a few things, guys, about how Pure has some very important things, parts of the, the jigsaw here that are critical and can be used and really help. So what sort of things do you have? Tell us a bit more about this in detail, please. Yeah, so, so you know, looking at after an attack. So we talked about during an attack having safe mode, which is like a safety net in place on all of your data. So uh, kind of like the airbags on the car, not the only security control you're going to use. You'd still use seatbelts, you'd still use brakes, but the airbags might just make it so you walk away from a, a really bad event unscathed. So safe mode is a critical aspect. Where you have pure customers using pure today, absolutely go talk to them about turning safe mode on. It's a free feature. We don't charge more for it. It's on the, all the arrays. It's in a part of pure, all of Pure's arrays. So all of our customers have free access to this feature and they need to turn it on right away. Now, after an attack, let's talk about that. The only thing that matters is fast. The only thing that a C-level and an organization that's being attacked cares about is you know, speed. They only care, are we back online yet? Is our business back up and running? They don't care about your backups. They don't care about your snapshots. They don't care about safety. <laughs> they don't care about any of that stuff. All they care about is, are we back online? If not, why not? And when will we be? So at Pure, we spent a tremendous amount of time working with some of our uh, core backup partners like Commvault and Cohesity to really focus on fast recovery. And so where you have to go to backup, there's nothing faster than, than coming back off of Pure. With Commvault, for instance, we built a, a solution that has 270 plus terabytes per hour of recovery capability. That's more than 17 times faster than the next closest competitor. And with Cohesity, we're into the petabytes of recovery a day. So where your customers want and need high-speed recoverability, there's nothing faster than coming off of Pure, bar none. You have to start you know, the restore process, though, as close to the event as possible. So where you have snapshots in place, you'll want to use those as your primary means of recoverability. So safe mode snapshots become even more critical after the attack because it gives you that point on the array to start cleaning your data forensically so that you can recover it even faster. Now, the point I'm going to uh, reinforce here is you don't just go and start recovering the data. Like there's a whole forensic cleanup process that has to be undertaken. Otherwise, you're just going to reintroduce the, the malware into the environment immediately. So again, another area where you can work with your customers is to either provide forensic services or make sure they have line of sight to forensic services when these events occur, because it's going to be an absolutely critical aspect. You know, one place that Pure can help is leveraging our, our snapshot technology. We can speed the forensic process by allowing you to do that, that work on our arrays using our thin space-saving snapshots. It makes it so you don't have to copy data off of the array, put it onto external drives to get it to forensics folks and get them to, to do their work, copy data back and forth. It can be very time-consuming and expensive. You can actually do that forensic work on our flash arrays. So, you know, making, uh, creating an ability for very high-speed recovery and for a high-speed forensic review is really paramount and critical after an event. And, and that's an area where we put a tremendous amount of emphasis and focus. There's two big things I like to call out as, as it relates to how Pure can help. One is we can help protect primary data, 
and backup data. The other big thing I like to call out, because this is often one of the most common questions I get from customers, is, hey, do I need to restore back to when the attacker first got into my environment? No, you need the logging information. And that's why, Andy, you were emphasizing, you need logging information that goes back to that point so you can find all the indicators of compromise and how they got into the environment and what all they got access to. But from an actual restoring data standpoint, you want that to be preferably T minus one second before the encryption phase of the attack. I'm glad you pointed out the logging because one thing I want to point out is you know, where you're using logs, you need to protect those logs you know, on pure with safe mode. By doing that, it makes it so the attacker can't get in and delete the logs or corrupt the logs so that you'll actually have them after the event. Now, why is that important? Andrew mentioned, you know, getting back to patient zero, identifying how the attack occurred for recovery. But there's another aspect. When you get attacked, you, when your, your, your partner gets attacked, your, your customer, they're going to get sued. Uh, there'll be lawsuits from stakeholders, shareholders, it might be compliance and regulatory lawsuits that come down. And when they're, they're on the stand, they're going to be asked a couple questions. The first being, you know, what were you doing to protect this data? And they're going to go through this whole list of things, right? And the second question then that will come back is, well, prove it, show us. And when you say, oh, well, my log data was all deleted, I mean, might as well start writing checks. So where you've got pure, run your logs on pure, protect it with safe mode. I mean, Andy, exactly right. I mean, I've seen this now on a number of occasions. And also, let's not forget law enforcement as well, because, um, you know, the uh, the accepted and the very, very clear direction coming out of not just the U.S. administration, but many others is do not pay, uh, do not pay ransoms and do not uh, entertain these criminals more than uh, they already have been, because if we perpetuate by paying ransoms then that happens. And there's legislation in many countries which is targeted at trying to, to make it actually to outlaw the paying of ransoms. But but notwithstanding that, you know, the, having that log data as well and being able to then, uh, you know, prove, uh, as, as you say, if it's in a lawsuit environment, but also to uh, potential other agencies as well is, is critical. And then understanding through that log data, the extent to which um, the rest of the estate may be impacted as well, uh, which is really important. So very fundamental as you make a very strong point there. Andrew, did you have anything else you want to add? That combination of their simplicity of setting up setting up the protections that Pure provides from a setup and an operational standpoint during the attack, immutability and resiliency, even if someone's trying to compromise or trash the data, and then the speed of recovery, um, whether it's speed of recovery, speed of iteration, because often you may have to do this multiple times in an offline environment. You put those things together. It's this very unique set of capabilities for Pure. Every single one of those matters. Sometimes I'll see people that do a lot of work on the before and during, but then they don't have fast enough recoverability speed, and all that work didn't matter, which is really painful to think about because you did all this work, but it, did, it didn't count because you didn't think enough about the speed of recovery aspect. Well, and that's where DXC can add a lot of value, right, is building that resiliency architecture, making sure that exactly. you've got the right tiers in place and the right recoverability. And that... That I think is really fundamental, Andy, and both Andrew, is that, you know, that that's where we really do come to the fore here. I've actually had a couple of customers say to me, yeah, oh, yeah, we can go and get that and we can go and do stuff. So what value, additional value is there? I hope that what's come through really strongly in the last few minutes is that what, you, what we all identify on this call is that being able to actually architect that and have that pervasive across so many different parts of, uh, of how a customer runs their IT and getting that right and tested is really fundamental and that it just works and continues to work um, because without having thought that through properly um, and just saying, oh, it's just a tool that we need to put somewhere, that's not it. It's about having a, an ecosystem based upon these types of tools 
from Pure uh, that really do allow on a number of different levels uh, the ability to be able to you know, recover if the worst happens, but more importantly, be prepared before um, and respond during as well. There's almost some level of almost moral responsibility. I'm thinking of one customer as a support case with Impure. They actually kind of dilly-dallied a little bit on turning some of these features on. They knew about it. We talked to them. And in the middle of that, they got hit on a Saturday while their admin was on vacation. And even in the scenario where I'm thinking of one hospital that has a funded Bitcoin account, they don't want to pay the ransom, but if lives are at risk, they think they may have to. That's not even a get out of jail free card based on what we've talked about, about speed of restore and decryption. So, I mean, let's bring it really back down to reality. You know, only, only just the other day uh, where a healthcare facility was hit. And, um, you know, one of the situations that's coming to, to light now is that their, their inability to be able to recover and have access to some critical uh, critical devices, had a, medical devices in terms of monitoring, led to a potentially patients dying. So, you know, this is very real. These criminals take, you know, aren't aren't interested in in the sort of things that we're interested in. It's a it's a, a, a terrible thing. But I hope that uh, we've all seen today that working alongside Pure, uh, putting a few things in, architecting it correctly, having that conversation with our customers can prevent our customers from being on the next headline. So Andy and Andrew, I want to say an enormous thank you to both of you and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks for your partnership. Thanks, Mark. That's a wrap. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed hearing from Mark, Andy, and Andrew all about ransomware and safe mode and our Pure and DXC partnership. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks for telling a colleague and a friend. I hope you liked hearing some of this guest content. Please send in your feedback to purereport at purestorage.com and tell a friend or a colleague and we'll keep the great content and episodes coming out to you. With that, we'll wrap for Pure Storage. Mark Hughes, Andy Stone and Andrew Miller. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. <laughs>